I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they might pick me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. So welcome back to United States of Dramerica, and I am delighted to have on the other end of the Zoom, TV and film actor extraordinaire, Brad Beyer. Wow. Thank you so much, Dan. That's such a fancy uh, introduction. So before we get into the meat of all of this, I have to ask you the first question. So look, um, we both live in the Valley. It was 21 degrees today. Yes, it was. Parts of California are literally on fire. Parts of America are both literally and metaphorically on fire. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. The film industry is basically ground to a halt, and you're having to homeschool your eldest child. How are you getting on? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I'm surviving just like everybody else. You know, I think we're all kind of in this thing together um it's uh, it's a little harder because my industry as you know is is really been affected and and nobody's really working right now so everything's kind of up in the air and uh i guess i'm just trying to enjoy the time with my children is you know uh as weird as that sounds right now i i actually do really enjoy it um it's it's with there being no work in my industry right now, I'm able to sort of be present and be with my kids and not worry about any of the other stuff. That's actually been pretty good. Obviously in, in your world, there's a lot of periods of not working, even when everything is, is working. Yeah, that's right. But presumably normally when you're not working, you're very frustrated going out for auditions and feeling under pressure to work because everyone else is working, but because no one's working, as you say, you can sort yeah, of have- so it sort of sort yeah, it sort of evens the playing field out, you know. Um, yeah. Everybody is in the same boat, and it takes some of the pressure off, strangely. Um, but yeah, you're right. When there is work and everybody's auditioning, and you're not working, it, it's somehow even harder because yeah. you feel like you need to be working when everybody else is, but now nobody is, so just have to ride it out. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I've known you for I think, two or three years now, and I've, I thought, you know, I should get Brad on the podcast. I know that you've got sort of an interesting whiskey story from your old drama teacher, and I thought, what, what's a good reason to have you on? Um, and unfortunately, there's a sort of very good reason to have you on, but all for all, for all the wrong reasons. So, you know, you, you've got a lot of credits to your name. You've worked on on Jericho, you worked on Extant with Halle Berry. You've done yes. you've very much done the rounds of, you know, Criminal Minds, CSR, yeah. 
all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the one I want to talk to you about is related to yet another. When everyone was saying sort of 2020 is the worst year, everything's gone wrong. And then there was some even worse news a couple of weeks ago when the world discovered that Chadwick Boseman had had four years of keeping cancer secret and very sadly passed away. Yeah. Um, and so you worked with him on, on the film that got him going really in the industry. In, in That's right. When he played Jackie Robinson. So tell me about that movie and how you came to work with him. Well, I um, auditioned for that part, for the part of Kirby Higby in 42. Um, I guess it was the spring of 2012. I had a couple auditions. We had a baseball audition where we had to go and play baseball and show that you can be believable as a real baseball player. And when I auditioned for that part, I think I was 38. Um so I would have been one of the older guys on the team at that point. Um, it was a pretty strenuous audition. <clears throat> you know, my baseball skills. I, I did play baseball when I was younger in, in high school, grade school and high school. I was pretty good. But it had been years since I'd really played, played baseball seriously. So the audition was very nerve-wracking. But, you know, I managed to... I managed to pull it together, and uh, after that, I had a, a reading with Brian Helgelin, the director, and I, and I ended up getting the role. Did you have to throw a 95-mile-per-hour fastball to get the part as the pitcher? No, I didn't, but I had to make it look like I could throw a 95-mile-an-hour pitch. At, at that point, I was like, if I could throw a 30-mile-an-hour pitch, to be honest with you. Um, but what was interesting is, after I got the role, I'd show up at these baseball practices that we'd have that were sort of unofficial practices before the actual training and then the actual movie started. And Chad would be there before anybody else, Chadwick Bozeman, taking ground balls, throwing the ball the first, going through all the drills. He never played baseball. He was a basketball player. He didn't have much baseball experience, but you could tell, I could tell the second I saw that guy, how dedicated he was to his craft. He was giving everything he had from, from day one. And I was watching him and I was just, I was amazed. I was like, I, we had a conversation early on at one of those baseball practices. I'm like, this, this thing is, this is going to change your life. And he says, well, I hope so. I don't know. He was very humble. He was not he was very quiet, very super intelligent. Um, one of the hardest working guys I ever met. You just knew when you're around him, you're around someone special. He had a light. He was dedicated, and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget for my when I first saw him practicing and how hard he was practicing to get it right. It was uh, it was inspiring. He didn't he didn't have a baseball interview, as it were. He was. Because it was for the lead, that he was selected sort of without the baseball and then had to completely learn it, unlike you guys. Is that right? Right. I think Brian read a lot of there were a, there were a lot of actors that wanted that role. I mean, that movie, 
different incarnations of that movie have been going around for years. You know, I think for a while Denzel, when he was younger, was attached. Um, but Brian, when he he saw a lot of name people for that role, but when he saw Chad's read, he realized he wanted somebody that not everybody was familiar with. So when you were watching that movie, you thought only of Jackie Robinson. You didn't think of whoever the star was playing it. And Chad, you know, he just brought all that real stuff to the role. He's just, uh, he's an incredible actor. He's, I can't tell you how sad I am knowing that he's not in the world because he was special. He really was. Obviously, you had quite a, a major scene. So for those who haven't yet watched the movie, and I think it's going to be re-released, so you'll get a chance, you basically play a, for want of a better word, a racist pitcher. You play against him when he's in the farm team for the Dodgers, and you have right. this long scene where he sort of embarrasses you by, yeah. but, you know, he, he he steals all the bases and runs all the yeah, way he- yeah, he doesn't sort of embarrass me. He he completely embarrasses me. I it, it was such a fun scene to shoot. It it took it took a week and a half to shoot that scene. It was a very long scene. I think it's a 13-minute scene where he I walk the the character I play in the movie is Kirby Higby. He's ba- basically this racist southern pitcher from South Carolina who grew up you know hating blacks. And I, when I was reading his book, he, he talks about how the black kids hated him and he hated the black kids. And that's just the way it was. So going into that movie, I, I had to sort of take a very, you can't ever judge a character you're playing. You have to go in it with the most honest, the most honest way you can to make sure it comes across. You can't be judgmental of the, the character you're playing basically. Um, and Higby wanted him off the team. He didn't want to play on a team with a, with a black person. And there were a bunch of guys like that from the South on the Brooklyn Dodgers in those years where Jackie was playing that felt the same way. And it was a very, uh, it was a very contentious time. So you have this long scene, he embarrasses you, and then you're later, when he actually joins the Dodgers, you try and start a petition to get him kicked off the team, which eventually leaves you to be traded. That's that's right, to Pittsburgh, yes. To Pittsburgh, which becomes a, a sort of running gag. I mean, I guess, so, again, for those people listening, I've, I've heard a version of this. I, I went to a screening of, a, of the Black Klansman, a BAFTA screening of that movie, and we, there was a Q&A afterwards, and the actor who played David Duke, the leader of the Ku Klux Klan, talked about yes. how he prepared for that role. And he got very emotional talking about it. How do you how do you prepare to play a racist role? And what was it like on set where you were all having to basically, you know, be racist? Um, yeah. Racist things and have racist body language and all of the stuff that happened. What was that? What was that like sort of in, in modern America prepping for and then playing a racist character? Well, I think it, it's, it's like 
how you would prepare for any other character. You do your research. I read there's a book called The High Hard One that Kirby Higby wrote about his life. And he talked about what it was like growing up in the South in the early 19th century or 20th century, rather. And um, those that was the way of life back then. It's wrong and it's awful. And in retrospect, it's it's, you know, disgusting. But that's the way these guys lived that's what they knew they they were totally against race mixing um it was a a big part of southern life back then so i went into it knowing that that's the way it was and for me to be able to honestly portray that character like i said i could not pass judgment on him i had to go through the way his life was to bring that sort of honest uh, portrayal to the screen. Otherwise, you're second-guessing yourself. If you're, if you're you know, um, interjecting your own values onto something like that, it's never going to work. With art, you have to kind of throw it all away and give it the most honest portrayal you can. And, and by that, I mean not judging the character. So Kirby Higby is not Brad Beyer. He's Kirby Higby. And I wanted to be the most, the honest version of that I could. So I would say that would, that's how I did it. Because the racism in the film is so visceral and obviously some of the languages, particularly the scene right. where uh, the manager of... Yeah, Alan Tudyk. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, you know, that was very, very, yes, a very hard scene. So how does it work on set? You know, in the evenings of people sitting around, do you... Were there sort of discussions about race and racism that were sort of prompted by the scenes you'd shot during the day, or do you sort of shut it all out? No, there wasn't. There weren't any discussions. You know, it's interesting. Like that movie was shot in 2012. I heard from somebody that if we were going to do that movie, if you were going to do that movie now, first of all, you could not have they would want an African-American to direct that movie. Brian Helgeland's a white director and he did a great job. He wrote the script, but I think it would be hard to make that movie right now with a white director mm. because they want, th- th- they would, they would feel that it would be more truthful to have an African-American's experience uh, uh, to guide and direct that film. So everything, you know, even eight years ago, it was different. So the, the, discussions around race i mean we all knew what we were doing we 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 knew what we were getting ourselves into we knew we wanted to tell the story and how important the story was we didn't sit around having discussions about about that about racism we knew the language we were using was ugly but we knew it was truthful to the time we all did the best we could to to make it as honest as possible and that was it there was no i don't remember having a discussion about it before or after it was just, we sort of all knew what we were doing and how important it was. And I think that was the most important thing with that movie. Yeah. So so talking a bit more about, about Chad, as you, as you, as you call him. So obviously you had a pivotal scene early on with him, but you obviously you got, you presumably guys were on set for this went on for weeks, this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it was ten, eight weeks, eight to ten weeks total. Yeah. Where was it shot? 
It was shot all across the South. It was Atlanta, Macon, uh, Bir- Birmingham, Alabama, um, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and these old minor league ballparks all over the, the, all throughout the South. It was really, it was an incredible experience to, to be able to tell that story and to wear those. I was, I mean, it was brutal wearing those old wool uniforms during the summer in the South but it gave you a real feel for the time. And I'll never forget it. I knew when we were doing the movie, we were doing something very important and, and watching Chad work. I knew we were in the presence of greatness and we were. And you stayed in touch with him after the movie. I did. We, we would, we would be in contact every now and then. I'd say the last couple of years of his life, we weren't in touch as much. And I regret that we were, but you know, by no means we were great friends, but I always, I had such a tremendous respect for him as a person and for his work. And I always tried to reach out after I'd see a performance and, and just tell him, man, you're, you're killing it. You're, you're doing awesome. I was just so proud of him and proud of what he represented. And, you know, the guy had no ego. He was very humble and he was a tremendous talent. And I've worked with actors who, who aren't, you know, who are, aren't half the actor that guy was who have attitude. And it's just an interesting, um, an interesting world because I've worked with a lot of people who, are not a pleasure to be around who don't have the talent and the humility that, that, that Chad did. When, when he got Black Panther and then Black Panther turned into the movie that it was, were you then, were you not surprised that he was able to, you know, play such a pivotal role in almost changing the genre? Not surprised at all. If there was a guy that was going to do it, it'd be Chad. Mm. There, there's something about him. Um, he has a light. I know that's, it's kind of cliche, but I, I don't say that about, I haven't said that about anybody that I've worked with really. Chad, Chad was super special. You knew when you were around him, he just, he just, he had that it factor, that thing that is, um, you can't quite describe. It's a power and a strength and a humility. And he has all those things. So, you know, Black Panther is the culmination of all those things. Hmm. And that's what made it so special and made it so powerful. Yeah. So I'm not surprised, no. I I had seen 42 years ago, before before Black Panther, obviously. So I, I saw it not knowing, I didn't even remember him being the actor who then went on to play Black Panther, as it were. Uh, but, you know, I, re, I re-watched 42 last night. And... Is, you know, it's a hard movie to watch anyway, but it, it really is an incredible performance by him. And you can sort of see some of the steel in him in the way he portrays that one character that you then see again in, in the superhero movie, as it were. Absolutely. The scene where he has to, I mean, the scene where he has to hold in all that emotion in order for that experiment that Branch Rickey was trying to execute for him to hold in all that anger 
and keep his mouth shut and you see him lose it in the corridor where he's smashing the back bat against the wall. I mean, that's powerful. That's a power. That's a real powerful scene there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he brought that, he brought that to everything he did. I mean, he's, he's one of a kind, you know, you won't see another guy like that. Maybe ever. He's, he's one of those, he's like James Dean. He's going to be, he's going to go down as that kind of mythical figure. And I wish he, I wish he wouldn't have. I wish he'd still be here. But. when obviously, I assume you didn't know about his cancer. I, I did not know. No. I find it extraordinary in today's world of social media that nobody knew, or at least it was, you know, it was never that I know of even a rumor around that he was ill. Um, well, th- there were some pictures that came out, I guess, in April that showed him very thin, not looking well. And there were some rumors about, well, either he was sick or he was trying to get ready for a role. And there was rumors going around there. But yeah, for the whole time he battled this thing, nobody knew. Yeah. Because that's the kind of guy he is. He's not going to let, he doesn't want anybody to worry about him. He's going he's gonna to keep it his business. He's going to battle through it. I think he had every intention of beating it. I, I read something that it wasn't until like a week before he passed that he realized he wasn't going to beat it. Mm. And it made me so sad because <laughs> that's, that's just who that guy was. Yeah. He was different. He was different. And there's all these, you know, the, all the videos that you can obviously view very differently now of him visiting the children at St. Jude's and the way right. he's talked about cancer and so on, and obviously a completely different context now, which adds to how sad the whole thing is. Oh, it's, um, it's really sad. But again, Chad was the kind of guy who would go do that, you know, all the time, all the while suffering from cancer himself. He, he just would never let on. He wouldn't want to take a, a moment away from those kids that were suffering. It was all about them. He, he didn't want anything to be about him. Yeah. That's just how it was. He let his work speak for him. He wasn't super outspoken, but when he did talk, it was powerful and meaningful. He's I had a lot of admiration for that guy. Yeah. A lot. Look, this is a whiskey podcast, so I'm going to have a whiskey in his honor. Um, so I was trying Me too. To which whiskey to drink, and I was just looking into it. There was a at one of the film awards after Black Panther came out. Um, the sponsors of the sort of hospitality for the for one of the awards was Bullet, and they did a Wakanda Forever bottle of Bullet. Now I can't get hold of it because I only made one, and they gave it to him. But I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink Bullet Ten Year Old in his honor. Do you have a whiskey at your end? I do. I have McCallan's 12. Good. So um, let's, if, let's, uh, you, you can tell me your McCallan story in a second. Let's just uh, pour a glass and cheers. So, to, um, yeah, I guess to, to Jackie Robinson, to, to Black Panther, to Chadwick Boseman. To Chadwick Boseman. So, Brad, <clears throat> tell, me, tell, me your, tell me your McCallan story and your, the story of your drama teacher. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, this year with with COVID-19, 
and all the drama and all the terrible stuff that's going on. It, uh, my acting teacher was this great legendary acting teacher named Wynn Hammond. He'd been in New York since after World War II. He studied at the a neighborhood playhouse with Sanford Meisner, which was the big act, one of the big acting schools in New York back then. And he, he started his own, his own acting class in the 50s. And then he started something called the American Place Theater, which was this incredibly new wave of playwrights like Sam Shepard, people like that. He discovered, he worked with Richard Gere early on and um, a lot of the early 60s and 70s New York playwright and actor talent. And I was fortunate enough to study with him and he was my mentor and my teacher, the greatest acting teacher I ever had. And he passed away from COVID. He was 90, he was 98 years old. He was very old. Um, but he, he was teaching acting up until, you know, the end of March. And I, he got sick and he died. He died in, I think, the end of April, beginning of May. So McAllen's, I was never a whiskey guy. One year for my birthday, when, when knew I was a beer drinker, I'm from Wisconsin and I grew up in the Midwest drinking beer and that was my drink. He's like, you should try whiskey. You should try scotch. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if it's my thing or not. And he loved McAllen's. That was his thing. So one year for my birthday, he bought me a bottle of it and we drank it. Uh, we both lived in the same building in New York, which was, which was great because I got to see him outside of class a lot and we got to have some wonderful conversations. And I just thought how, uh, how nice it would be to, to, to have, a, have a drink of scotch tonight in his honor because he was along with Chad, he was one of a kind. He was, like I said, he was the greatest teacher I ever had and he influenced so many people. Um, so I thought it would be nice to, to give tribute to him. Absolutely. But dare I say, a 98-year-old dying from COVID is what the people who say COVID's not really a big thing will say, well, he was 98. But I think the point is he probably didn't have 10 years left, but if he was still sort of working up until... She might have had a here's, couple in him. Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, the guy <laughs> the guy survived the Germans during World War II. He was on an icebreak. He was a, he was he was um he was in the Coast Guard and he captured a, a a German submarine in the North Atlantic. He was on an icebreaker with the coast with the Coast Guard. You know, he fought bravely during World War II. He's lived through all these all these things our country has had or gone through and he, you know, he's 98 years old and he buys it because of COVID-19. It seems, it seems unfair and, uh, not right. It, he should have been able to go out on his own terms. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So it pisses me off. So you've, you've had a, I guess, I don't know if you call it the sort of classic career of a working actor. You know, you've, you've had some great parts and some special moments. Obviously, 42 is what we talked about tonight. And even without the, sort of the tragedy surrounding it, obviously that's an iconic movie in American history that you were part of. Um, but then, you know, you say you've been, you've been in pretty much every TV show that my wife watches. Um, and, yeah. um, also, you know, the, the show with Halle Berry. I mean... 
when you look at your career up, so obviously I know you're on a pause now because everyone is, but when you sort of look at your body of work, you know, what do you think about it all for, you know, a boy from Wisconsin going into acting? Is this, you happy, you sad, you wish you'd done more, are you pleased with what you've done? How do you sort of feel? No, I mean, I, th- I think every actor always wishes they could do more, but I, in terms of, in terms of the body of work, in terms of the things that I've done thus far, I've got to work with people like Chad, Halle Berry, Miles Teller, John Travolta, John Turturro, Harrison Ford. Um, it's been it's been an interesting career. I've gotten to play a lot of different types of parts. Um, when I set out to do this, I told myself I wanted to be able to do everything. I wanted to be able to do comedy. I wanted to be able to do super dramatic you know, powerful things. I, I started in the theater in New York. I, I moved to New York. I didn't know anybody. I knew one person. I knew one person who wasn't in the industry. I made my way myself. I made all my connections myself. I, I worked my butt off for, you know, it's been 25 years now. So I feel, I feel like it's been pretty good. Um, there's been a lot of ups. There's been a lot of downs. Uh, you know, the thing I crave now more than anything, having a wife and a family is consistency. And that's very hard to come by sometimes as an actor. Um, I don't, I, I'm not seeking fame and fortune as much as I thought I would be. Um, it's more about consistency and being able to take care of your family and being able to live your life the way you want to live it. Um, and keeping the work interesting. I always wanted to, like I said, do different things, not be stuck, stuck doing one thing all the time. What do you think happens next? So I know production's slowly beginning to come back in various ways at the moment with obviously lots of masks and social distancing and new rules and complications for unions and insurers and so on. But what do you think happens? Because obviously TV watching has gone up massively in the past six months because so many people are stuck at home. But the sort of desire to consume this stuff is definitely still there, if not higher. What, what do you think the industry is going to look like over the next sort of six to 12 months? I mean, that's a good question, Dan. I don't know. I, I mean, I think on some level, there's going to be a need for content because everything's backed up they're going to need to fill slots. So I think there's going to be an onslaught of, of content and new, new material being produced. At least that's what I hope because that means more opportunity for, for actors. Um, but I'm not sure, <laughs> excuse me. I, I, I mean, I know we have to get back to, I don't know what normal looks like after this. Mm. We haven't established a protocol on how to go back to work safely yet. I know there's a couple of shows that are trying, but people have gotten sick. You know, they tried doing Batman and the lead guy got sick. They had to shut it down. And that's costly. That, that costs money. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, we'll see how it all works out. I'm, I'm hopeful that once this is, you know, a vaccine comes down the pipe and people feel confident we can get back to work. But right now, I guess I'm not sure how it's all going to work. I, I, I'm just not sure. 
Um, so, Brad, thank you very much for this. Look, I end every podcast, as you know, with, with the same question, um, which is, if you could drink any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, what would it be, and where would it be? Oh, you know, that's a great question. But I think tonight my instinct would, would be to say to have one, gla- one last glass of McCallan's with Wynn Hammond in his acting studio at Carnegie Hall in New York City, him and I discussing dis- discussing the work and having one last great conversation. I think to me that would be just perfect. Yeah. Very good. Look, Brad, um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your, your personal views of obviously working with, with Chadwick Boseman. I think, you know, people want to hear stories Everyone thinks he was a really nice guy. He's one of those actors who sort of transcends what's happening in the industry and is yeah. viewed by everyone as a nice guy. And I think people were almost pleased to continue hearing stories that that he was a nice guy and he was great to work with. And you know, glad yeah, he was. He, yeah, listen, he was. Not only was he a nice guy, he was the real deal. He was. He was a. a he was an awesome actor. Yeah. And um, he just embodied everything you should aspire to be in this business. And I was proud to have been able to work with him. So thanks for giving me a chance to talk about him, Dan. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, for our, for our listeners who haven't seen 42 yet, like I say, I think it's being re-released in some form. Um, although obviously cinemas aren't exactly open, so I'm not quite sure what that looks like. But um, I say I watched it again last night with new eyes and I commend anyone listening to do exactly the same and look at that performance and also watch the picture and see how fast his fastballs really look. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Brilliant. Thanks, Brad. All right, Dan. Thanks, man. Mm, I love scotch. 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 And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>